is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 503, recorded on Tuesday, October the 27th, 2020. Welcome to the program, everyone, and happy few days before Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. So, did I ever tell you about the funniest sign I ever saw around Halloween? Uh, you may have, but let's hear it again because I don't remember. I happen to be driving between Los Angeles and Las Vegas around this time of year, way back in like 2003. Yep. And we drove past a, uh, a gas station, had a big sign on it. I don't know why it had this sign, but it said, Happy Halloween." And I've always remembered that. And I now, in my mind, call it Halloween. Uh, that might have been a promotion for Angry Birds, the Halloween edition, because I'm pretty sure they called that Halloween. Uh, it was before smartphones, my friend. Or before the real, it was before the iPhone was released in Canada. What? No. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because I did not live with uh, my now wife, Jenny, uh, at the time. Uh, and I was living with her when I got my iPhone, and I got the iPhone on the day it came out. All right. Well, fair enough, then. That's You probably remember better than I do when you moved in with your wife. Uh, yes. All right. Well, that's funny. Hamoween. Happy Hamoween, everyone. Yeah, this is our last podcast before Halloween, so I wanted to bring it up. Uh, I don't know that there is going to be very much trick-or-treating around the neighborhood where I live due to the pandemic and all, but if you are able to trick-or-treat... And that's something you want to do. I hope you have a good time and are safe about it. Yeah. And I'm just, uh, in the back of my mind, I'm trying to figure out whether or not uh, spreading COVID is either a trick or a treat, but maybe we need to add a third option. <laughs> trick or treat or stay the way to hell from my house. <laughs> something like you know, that. Rearrange the words a little bit so it makes sense, but you get the idea. I do. Stay the way to hell from my house. Yeah. All righty. So here we are on the podcast, Jason. We are going to talk about the Amazon Prime show, The Boys, today. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's not the only thing we're going to do because no. I've been thinking about it. And I started to think about the fact that there are currently two Walking Dead shows airing. And the original plan was to not really talk about either of them. And as I considered that more... I became more and more racked with guilt and uh, just generally felt like it was the wrong decision and something bad. And we should at least acknowledge the fact that these shows are on the air in some, some meaningful way, because after all, as you hear off the top of this show, we are a podcast about the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead, which has blossomed right. into the Walking Dead universe and we've kind of followed along with it. So not talking about those shows was bothering me and I decided to change course and make sure that we do talk about them at least a little bit. Okay. And now with that out of the way, we can talk about the boys. <laughs> well, I'm afraid it's, it's not <laughs> Is that, that a little each. short. Was that, that was a little too short. Maybe a little too short. It. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid. See, cause what happened there was, uh, that was meta talking about it. You were talking about talking about it. I was right. We weren't actually yeah. addressing the issues. I was simply stating the fact that we are going to you know, addressing the issues soon. <laughs> okay, good. All right. So that 
you know, that is what we are going to do that on this episode of the show, too. Now, it's I had this other idea that instead of covering those shows sort of both in depth, the same way that we have with Fear in the Past and, of course, the way we do with The Walking Dead main show when it's on, I want to mix things up a little bit. And since we are inside this Walking Dead universe now, not just one show or a group of individual shows, we have this whole universe that is being enriched by each of these shows. At least that's the idea, I think. And so when we're looking at Fear and we're looking at World Beyond, my idea is to sort of look at them with through that lens and see how they how they impact the greater Walking Dead universe more so than getting bogged down in the plot details of each one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right? No full recaps, no like full this is what happened or or real in-depth reviews of them, but kind of look at them and say, well, did this add anything to the greater Walking Dead universe? Does this inform anything about the main show at all? Stuff like that. So I feel like this could be fun and I think this might be a good idea for for a while and give us the ability to talk about all these shows or at least these two with um a bit of a fresh take and one that that um stays relevant to the main show which is the one we want to cover all the time anyways and the whole walking dead universe so we'll see how this goes and hopefully it it is it ends up all right okay you know but no, it's not, that sounds great. I think it was, uh, when you proposed this idea, I don't know if it was earlier last week, this week, or about 47 years ago, either one I would accept. Uh, when you proposed it, I thought it was a great idea. And uh, I look forward to you know, bringing everything back around to the main show on, on, uh, on a regular basis. Right. That's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm hoping we can end up doing here. So tonight... Uh, Before we talk about the boys, we are going to look at World Beyond Episode 3 and Fear Episode 2. Now, (laughs) I I realize those are not even the latest episodes of each of those shows yet because the (laughs) latest episodes came out on Sunday. We had World Beyond Episode 4 and Fear Episode 3. But since we're a little bit behind because of, you know, the idea to do the boys this week and, of course, not record a new podcast last week... I didn't want to skip those. I also didn't want to gang up too many all at once. So we're going to look at those two today. And next week, we're going to look at the next two of each of those shows, because by then there will there will be two of each. Um, right, so we're going to be all caught up next week. We're going to be all caught up next week, exactly, and then go okay. from there. So it's a little bit weird. Uh, we've got a lot to do tonight, could turn into a big monster episode, I don't know, um, but by next week we'll be all caught up and then we'll be sort of recording on a more normal schedule. And this is all my fault. I was like, I don't want to talk about fear because it sucked so much last year. Um, but then I felt guilty about that and I decided to come up with this new way to do it. Mm-hmm. Guilt and spite are two powerful motivators. I've done entire... I've resegmented and reset the purpose of my life based on spite. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, so and that you know that's very similar to guilt. 
So uh, guilt can be a powerful motivator as well. So I, I don't disparage you for feeling guilty. I don't think you should feel guilty, but the fact that your guilt has spurned us on down this road is fine by me. Okay. Well, that's essentially what it is. And uh, hopefully this has finally gotten me to the best decision for us, for the show, for everybody involved, listeners, and uh, we'll have to see. Now, having said all that, the first thing I want to do is read a couple of emails from listeners here that are just quick follow-ups on uh, one issue we talked about with relation to the first episode of season six of Fear. You know what happens to my to my psyche every time you say we're going to read an email or two from uh, as follow up from past podcast episodes? <laughs> What's that? I feel like I've just been handed a report card every single time, and it's absolutely not that in any way, shape, or form. But every time that happens, my heart goes oh, because I feel like I've been handed a report card for an entire subject that I haven't studied for. Right, because you feel like you're about to be called out for like a grievous error you made or. Or just you're exactly. not gonna you're not gonna get the mark you you hoped you would. Yeah, and I think that might be a uh, an underlying theme to my entire life that I don't feel qualified for my life, uh, be be it professional, personal, or podcastical. Uh, I feel underqualified for every aspect of everything I've ever done, and uh, these are report cards. They feel like report cards, even though they're absolutely not. And most of the time, it's all good and fun. Yeah, but look at you. You're you're rel you've lived a relatively successful life despite being underprepared for everything you've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> look at that. It's amazing. I don't recall ever in my entire life, I don't recall ever studying for a test. Not once. And I have no memories of doing homework at home. <laughs> <laughs> and yet somehow you didn't flunk out of school. I did not flunk out of school. Anyway, Anyways. let's uh, bring it on. I'm ready. All right. Thace from the Netherlands writes, dudes, maps have coordinates. Maps had coordinates long before GPS was invented. And when the scale of the map becomes smaller, the coordinates become more precise. So if Morgan had a map in his backpack, it would have been easy to find those coordinates. And then Miles from Texas writes, there are some of us out there who learned to navigate their way around this world with nothing but a large sheet of paper. No GPS required. Yes, if I was given a set of coordinates, I would be able to locate them on a paper map. Of course, the only real problem with that method is that no one truly knows how to properly fold it back up. Also true, but... Uh, okay. I have topographical maps of my you know, region. I've purchased topographical maps and I know how to read them. They all have grid coordinates. I absolutely agree. But I don't know if I could use that to get to the nine decimal places of location that was necessary for identifying that water tower. Right. I don't know if I could get to that level. I could find the grid probably within a square kilometer because our topograph topographical maps in Canada have, uh, you know, the grid squares on them and they are a square kilometer, and they're not usually GPS numbered. They're numbered in their own grid system that is, you know, overlays all of Canada. But there is a way to do that mapping. But I could probably get within half a mile, maybe a quarter of a mile, uh, on either side of that uh, of that water tower. But I don't think I could walk right to it based on the coordinates. Sure, that that's fair. But I think what these guys are both saying is that you know we we talked about how. 
how the hell would anyone be able to find those coordinates at all? But any person who knows how to work maps um, well enough, you know, to be fair, like I'm not sure I could do it even as as well as you, but it's not outside the realm of possibility that given coordinates at a map, someone knows where to go. Uh, true. All right. But, and also what kind of map did he have? Was it a topographical map? Was it a military map? Was it a fucking road map? I haven't looked at a road map in a long time, but I'm pretty sure that they don't have GPS coordinates on them. All right. Well, we don't know, but that's part of the point, right? We can assume that given coordinates and the right kind of map, uh, what's his face could have gotten back to Morgan's water tower. Okay. And we can also probably surmise that if Morgan wrote the coordinates on a backpack for some unknown fucking reason, and he had a map inside that backpack, there's a good chance that in on that map, inside that backpack, is a goddamn mark that says, I live here. <laughs> there could have been that too, yeah. Right? <laughs> okay. An X so, with an arrow pointing to it. Yeah, because if we're going to go from uh, backpack to map, we're going to have a mark on a map. But then if we have the map in the backpack why write the coordinates on the backpack look we're not here to solve all of the problems i'm just here to say that that i don't think we should have been so hard on the show for giving someone coordinates assuming there might have been a map and then making the leap to that guy could follow those or find those coordinates on that map and go to that place okay <laughs> all right i'm still skeptical Fair enough. I'm, I'm, I mean, I agree with you. I'm not saying I could do it. I'd open that thing upside down and be like, you know, wh what am I looking at here? But, uh, someone, there are a lot of people smarter than me. That's true. And there's a few people smarter than me as well. So <laughs> let's just one chalk or two. it up to that. One or two. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, you guys for pointing that out. It does seem silly that I, you know, we sort of thought, you know what? It's a map. There's coordinates. Those two things go together pretty well. Uh, but anyways, all right, that's uh, the only listener feedback follow up for the week. So let's jump into Fear the Walking Dead season six, episode two first here. It was called Welcome to the Club. And this one was all about Strand, Alicia, where they are, what they're doing. Daniel makes an appearance as well. And... I got to say, after what I thought was a really good, solid first episode to season six, I had a lot more problem with this one. And, yeah, as, to, as did I. And, and this harkens back to how season five started. I enjoyed the first one and it all went downhill from there. Now, I must admit, I got more out of this one on a second watch. Um, because, but, but that's only because I think the problems with this one were much more noticeable on a first watch and it, it required a second one for me to sort of get on board with it. But, um, I'll just say quickly that I didn't find this episode as fun or as interesting as the first one. The first time I watched it, like I said, I could, I had trouble following some of the details, especially what Strand was trying to communicate to Alicia at times. And those two times are primarily when he first talks to her about making a deal with Ginny. And then at the end, when he's sending her away, 
Um, I didn't quite understand his, at first, his motivation in either of those situations. I did kind of catch on a little bit more when I watched it a second time. Um, but it indicated to me that this was the type of writing where characters aren't really saying what they mean. They're not really being clear. And it added to the confusion of it all for me. And it felt like it was kind of just leading up to the final scene, which is all they really wanted to to get to in this one. So even though I liked it a little more on the second viewing, only because I was able to process it better, I don't think this was a great episode, which I'm kind of sad about after the first one. I kind of agree with you that uh, this episode was not as good as the first episode and that the whole point was to get to, well, we had a, a few points. Uh, point number one is we needed to get to that final scene where Morgan and Daniel uh, get together. Mm -hmm. The second point is we needed Strand to seemingly go off to the dark side uh, as a general. Yep. And uh, what was the third point? Oh, uh, Ginny's sister, uh, being rebellious and, uh, helping out our intrepid heroes. Well, what do you think was important about that? Having her sister drop, drop in there. Just as a potential for plot development. Yeah. Almost like a foil <laughs> gonna, for her. Yeah. She's going to be, she's going to be a MacGuffin or is going to present a MacGuffin in later episodes. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I will say, though, that the actress they found, Zoe Coletti, to play her, uh, perfectly cast. Like, she kind of looks like uh, um, Virginia, Colby Minifee, kind of looks like yep. a younger version of her. So, great job on the casting department there. Um, but you're absolutely right. They needed to introduce her to um, be, what's the phrase, like a fly in the ointment for Virginia? Like, cause her some stress if you know what i mean yeah just to be yeah to, to somehow give us uh inside information at various points in the rest of the season right right or or be an agent of chaos within virginia's life right because she's clearly sympathetic to people other than just her sister so i think you're absolutely right about that um getting her in there was important and having strand move over to Virginia's side felt uh, really kind of ham-fisted almost. You know what I mean? It was. It was undeserved. I didn't quite understand it. He was so opposed to absolutely everything. The reason they got into this mess is because he was in opposition to the Rangers that were coming back and was so defiant every step of the way until uh, Jenny handed him a key and he went, oh, okay, great. And now he's on their side. <laughs> right. Excuse me? He's, he, he's, he's plotting something, right? He's not just going off to the dark side. But then he, uh, he sent Alicia away to somewhere else so that he could be someone else mm -hmm. uh, uh, for a while. So he's off to the dark side. And he's shown that he's uh, capable of doing bad guy things. Killing that guy in order to attract the walkers because honking a horn did not work. He straight up sacrifices Sanjay, stabs him in the yeah. leg and says, you know, run out in front of these and pushes him out in front of the zombies. I mean, that was, that's pretty. That's a bad guy thing. Pretty bad guy level. High bad guy level. Yeah, there. Um, but the problem was I, I, I didn't, yeah, I had trouble understanding what Strand was doing the whole time. Initially, he, 
he tells Alicia that he makes this deal with Virginia to keep them together because something about being the type of person he wants to be, right? And I think he can't do that if he's apart from her. And then by the end, Virginia promotes him to this position of authority and says, you've created an army for me. And then he sends Alicia away for similar reasons, like we can't be together because of the kind of person I am or want to be or something. I didn't... Well, it was it was with the conversation with Daniel. Daniel said, remember who you are, right? And in right. order for Strand to remember who he was, he needed the person that has been with him the longest in order to remember who he was, because she's the only person around that was there before or at the start of the zombie apocalypse, right? They met in the first season. They met uh, right near the beginning when he was still who he originally was. So we needed her as that memory uh, anchor. Okay. And afterwards he had to send the memory anchor away because he wanted to be a bad guy. He needs to be that general bad guy guy. And in order to do that, he had to send his memory anchor away. Okay, well, I, I guess that's it. Uh, Charlie was in this episode as well, but I don't think was important at all. Although, you could suggest that she is um, a similar age to uh, Virginia's sister. What was right. her name? Morgan? Morgan? Good. I no, think it's not Morgan. We got into Morgan already. Oh, you're right. It wasn't Morgan. It's Dakota. Dakota. There you go. Wasn't it? It's some I other don't know. funny name. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't Morgan. Duh. Um, so, you know, Charlie being, I think, a similar age to her, maybe they're going to get close and that'll be sort of important to that relationship. But at the end of the day, you're right. We needed Strand. As this episode affects, I, to be honest, I don't think it really affects the greater Walking Dead universe in any way, but it does affect whatever is going to happen in, you know, the the bigger season six of this show. Strand has joined Virginia. Um, that's going to go one of two ways. Either he will, you know, actually sort of become one of her people and act on her behalf, or he's going to end up sabotaging her. It reminds me a little bit of, of Eugene being with the saviors, right? He was with them for so long and eventually he redeemed himself, even though he was working with them for a long time. Yes. And willingly and, you know, enthusiastically. Yeah, exactly. So it reminds me He was a bad guy. He was for a bit. So now we have Strand doing something similar. Um, We've got the sister introduced and potentially her relationship with Charlie. And we've got Daniel, who they go for this like uh, amnesia plot line where he can't remember anything about anyone until the very end where it's revealed that he was in fact faking the memory loss the whole time because Morgan shows up and you know, they reconnect. And that was the other big thing to get Morgan there to remind us that he's, he's around and he knows what's going on and presumably knows where at least some of his people are because why else would he show up there? Right. Yeah. And yeah. And now there's two. There's two what? There's two of them. There's Morgan and Daniel. Now there's two of them. I guess so. Yeah. There's Morgan and Daniel because we assume that that Daniel doesn't stick around, right? He, he, yeah, he's he's with Morgan now. He leaves with Morgan, right? Hopefully, Morgan has a horse for him. Uh, hope because because oh. Morgan Morgan has a horse. Well, they have a donkey, right? There there was a donkey, uh, or something was pulling that wagon that they were on. Was that a donkey? 
I don't remember. I don't know. Anyways, yeah, he needs a horse. <laughs> Maybe he has one horse for now, and they can both ride it, and then they can find another horse somewhere else. Mm-hmm. They double up. Double That's up. Sound, sounds nice. Okay. Uh, the one thing I liked about this episode, before I bring it around to how I think this impacts the larger world, one thing I liked about this episode was the mystery of what the hell could be in that molasses barn. It was, uh, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of tripe in the long run, but, uh, during the mystery of when they said there's a weapon in there, or there's something in there that Ginny wants and she keeps throwing people at it until she gets it. And I'm like, what the hell could be in there? It's a friggin' molasses barn. Mm-hmm. Some kind of molasses based weapon. I, I don't understand. Is it molasses? Could <laughs> molasses be the secret to something? <laughs> so I was all, my brain was all trying to figure out what the heck was going on in there. And it turns out there's nothing. <laughs> right. And I must admit that uh, that was one of the things that bothered me a little bit is that they say, what's in there? A weapon. What kind of weapon? I don't know. I'm like what, what kind of sh- writing is that? Like if you want to have a mystery, that's okay. But I think you just need to set it up a little bit better. And I'm actually fine with the fact that it was nothing because it's revealed that Ginny's intentions were different. Um, and she was really just looking for the person who could get the job done. And it turned out it was strand, but I just think they needed to, tease something a little more than that or or actually have something in there that she genuinely wanted i would have been more okay with that yeah and it it sort of makes sense you know a sword is not forged by uh, a bunch of flower children dancing in a field and uh coming up with a sword it's forged by you know metal and fire and banging and strength and there's all kinds of effort that needs to go into the forging of a sword and that's what she was looking for that she mm-hmm. wanted a sword and she needed it to be forged and it needed to be forged uh, until it was made and Strand was, you know, ultimately the sword that was forged out of this effort. I like your analogy. Strand is the sword. Yeah. So that was probably the only thing I liked about this episode. Okay. Well, it wasn't my favorite thing. I, 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 I couldn't say there's anything I really liked about this, but, uh, I also didn't hate the whole thing either. I, I came around a little bit on second viewing, but, uh, I, I do hope it's not an indication of, what we're going to get all season. Yeah. And if I may nitpick something, may I? I, th- I think you can do that. Sure. All right. When they found out that uh, Dakota or whatever her eyebrows are, uh, when she was, when they found out she was in, you know, the foyer of the molasses barn, the Rangers that came in to rescue her, uh, wanted to put, wanted strand and, uh, Alyssa to put down, their weapons. So what they did was they immediately walked in a door, uh, walked away from that door, put the bad guys between them and the door and put themselves between, uh, our intrepid heroes and the zombies. I'm like, Jesus Christ, the tactics that you are employing here are the worst possible tactics you could have in this situation. Uh, right. Just horrible. And they ended all, they ended up dying because they're idiots and, you know, put themselves in a bad situation. It's like, what are you doing? You have no escape route. The only way out is through the people you hate or uh, molasses covered zombies. Like stay outside, you know? <laughs> yeah. Have no. have an exit strategy. I, I did feel like they were especially incompetent. You know, they, they just sort of both got, or they all got torn down by zombies a little too easily for what we were supposed to believe were 
capable survivors, you know, but I guess not. Yeah. And then Alyssa got a hold of the, you know, a firearm and shot off a magazine full of rounds in random directions and killed all the zombies. Uh, she did. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean. So good for her. Good, good for her, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Why not? Um, did you say you, you did have a way this connects to the greater universe or not? Uh, this particular episode, no. I mean, uh. Fear the Walking Dead, is, we know it's related to the CRM, and the CRM is related to the, the greater world beyond thing we're going to talk about next, and the CRM is related to the main show, and so far that's the only tentative link I have Well, Not this particular episode. Right, exactly, but we, this, this episode didn't really delve into anything related to that. Not even related to that submarine we saw you know, or anything like that. Oh so. yeah, I forgot about the submarine. What yeah. the hell? Well, I'm thinking the sub might have some sort of connection back to things, um, but it wasn't a part of this one. So, you know, didn't really add much to it. Oh, now I'm sad. I forgot about the submarine. Oh, well, and sorry. I'm sad that they didn't bring that up again. Morgan should have had that in his backpack or been carrying it or something. That would have been a sight to see. It really would have. Um, th- I don't know that, Although I, I, I was going to say, I don't know that they'd throw that sub in there at the end of the first episode and then not come back to it for a long time. So I think we will see it in the next episode. Um, incidentally, I should say that episode has now aired and I have had a really hard time staying away from spoilers and stuff like that. Have you not watched it? I have not watched it yet. I didn't want, really? I didn't want it to taint my, my thoughts on this episode in any way. And that can happen. So... I have not watched it yet. I didn't even watch the next episode of World Beyond yet, and that's one that's really been spoiled for me already. So it's part of the reason I want to get caught up as soon as we can. <laughs> All right. Well, let me ask you a question. Is it possible that I am further along in The Walking Dead at some point in our podcast history than you are? So you have watched the latest episode? No, the answer is no. It's not actually possible at this point. Oh. But I just was wondering if it was possible. If I had happened to have watched that show for the first time ever, I would have been ahead of you in storyline. You would have been for the first time ever. And in fact, if you decide to watch them tonight while I'm editing this and getting it out, you will be ahead of me. No, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But yeah, <laughs> I just, it's like when you see a question in a newspaper headline. It's like, oh, could it be that this is happening? No, the answer is always no. Okay, the answer is no. <laughs> okay, well, that's Fear the Walking Dead season uh, six, episode two. Let's move on to The Walking Dead World Beyond, season one, episode three. It's called The Tiger and the Lamb. And this one, it picks up right where we left off in the episode before. The group is still in the big tire fire. They need to get through. Um and ultimately they do, of course, but it's intercut with flashbacks, mostly around Silas. So we're kind of supposed to get a little bit of insight into where he comes from and what he was doing. And what we see is, I think, him arriving at the campus colony for the first time, and also some incident where he beats the shit out of somebody and is covered in blood. Um, but, you know... I don't think we got too much insight into his past. We see him doing his job, meeting, you know, Iris uh, for the first time. Um, so just, you know, giving us a bit of a bit of uh, details on, on where Silas has come from. Um, 
But overall, I think this episode was, you know, like the first two of this show, not really bad, but felt a little, a little, um, difficult to sit through sometimes, uh, very talky, which is okay. I don't want to say that's bad, but I felt like about 90% of this episode didn't really capture my attention until the final six or so minutes, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but you were right, Jason. I also wanted to point out that Felix and Huck catch up with them and agree to accompany them on their journey rather than take them home, which is right. what you predicted last time. Because the tire fire is so friggin' big that it'll take, uh, it's less time to go to another town and take a caravan back to their home than it is to just kind of beeline at home somehow. Well, you can't go back through the tire fire. What were they saying? They have, they had to go back down to Omaha. Yeah. And then cut back around through that way, which would take a long time, which to be fair is what Felix was suggesting. But the girls all said, nope, we're still going. So you either let us go or you come with us. And he decided to go with them. Yeah. Uh, this episode and this show in general feels like homework. And I don't, <laughs> I'm not enjoying it, Chris. Uh, I don't want to watch this show anymore. Well, we have to because there are some big, big things going on at the, the end of this episode. I do want to mention, though, just, you know, two notable things that aren't related to the, the final scene. One is that both Hope and Iris killed their first zombies. Right. Right. So that's notable for these characters. They weren't able to do that before now. And then the other thing, which is maybe only notable to you and I, but Elton, he actually uses that fishing rod to fish. If you notice, he's standing <laughs> on the deck or on the dock towards the end there, and he actually casts it into the water. So he clearly brought it to fish, not as a weapon. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could also, you know, take some fishing line, put a hook on it and a worm on it and throw it in the water without having a fishing rod that's shorter or just barely longer than your arm with your arm extended. Uh, <laughs> so you know, carrying that fishing rod is completely irrelevant. It's meant for ice fishing, for sitting there and maybe setting it down so that you don't have to hold the line the whole time. But if you're in a zombie apocalypse, you know, get a stick. Take, you know, pick up sticks. They're everywhere. Well, sure. I don't but... know if you've ever gone for a walk around the world, but there are fucking sticks everywhere. <laughs> There's an abundance of sticks. Yeah, but I'm saying if you if you have a fishing rod, it's probably better for fishing than using a string on a stick. So I don't, I blame, don't know. I don't Fish blame, are pretty dumb. I don't blame him for that. It's just, it's funny to me that the reason he has it is actually to fish with because there's no way you could use it as an effective weapon. But you know what? They need food. And so they come across water. He can catch fish for them. Fishing, great. I like the idea of fishing. I don't eat fish nearly as often as I'd like to eat fish. Well, that's not true, but I don't get to eat fish very often. My wife is deathly allergic. Uh, so I would like to go fishing. But if I was in a situation where I had to, you know, uh, carry all my gear for hundreds of miles and days at a time, I'd chuck the goddamn fishing rod in, uh, you know, so that I could pick up a stick every now and again when I wanted to fish. Tie a line around it. Hold the stick. Okay. You know, is there a big difference between this short little 80s fishing rod or, and a stick? Probably not. Well, I might argue that, but I see your point. Anyways, he was fishing. He wasn't trying to kill anything with it because that would have been stupid. 
<laughs> okay. Because <laughs> that would have been stupid. Yes, exactly. Um, how did this episode impact the greater Walking Dead universe? Well, I think World Beyond, I think a big point of this show even existing is to impact the greater Walking Dead universe because we get to the last six minutes of this episode after we're done with Hope, Iris, and the boys on their mission to get to New York. We go to Elizabeth, who is now back at the Civic Republic in her home, and she is, and, and some things are revealed about their society, which I think are immensely important to yeah. all the shows. So she's there, she's sitting in her kitchen studying some kind of map. Sergeant Major Barca comes to see her and he is traumatized by what they did to the campus colony and he's questioning whether those people were actually a threat. So I think that confirms to us that they killed everybody there. Yes, I believe it does. There was no sort of zombie problem. They just wiped them out, which is pretty nuts. Um, and so while she's talking to him, she lists the things they have at the Civic Republic. She says, we have energy, water, medicine, transport, the council, which I guess is some form of government. She says, courts, schools, culture, currency, economy, agriculture, manufacturing. And then she turns on all the appliances in her home, the kitchen appliances, the TV, the ceiling fan, everything. I think to make a point, as yep. she's saying, like, she's like, look at all the things we have and all the, th the stuff we can do. We are clearly running a productive society here. Um, she also mentions that they have 200,000 people in the community. That's uh, a big community. That is a large community. So those are the things we learn. The next thing that happens is, you know, this Barca guy, you know, can't deal with what they did. So she has him, it appears to be arrested, uh, although you could say these two, you know, CRM masked guys show up, masked soldiers show up and take him away. She says he's going to be assigned to the health and welfare complex. Yep. So some sort of conditioning therapy, I guess, to help him deal with what they did. Re-education. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's pretty uncool. Um, and then after he's taken away, she turns everything back on again by herself in the room. And I started thinking, why would she do that? He's gone. She doesn't have to make a point anymore. Does the noise drown out her thoughts of guilt <laughs> or anything like that? She does it's have hard. this tortured look on her face. And the final scene is her sitting back at the map again and a tear drops onto the map. So she's crying now looking at this map. Yes. Okay. She is feeling guilty. So guilt is a powerful force. And I don't know. I kind of thought of this as this same scene in the fifth element. May I spoil the fifth element a little bit? I, I guess so. Be warned, everyone. It's, fifth it's element. It's been a while. Spoilers. Fifth element. When Zorg breaks the glass in front of the, uh, the, uh, the priest uh, and all these little... Um, the robots come out to clean it all up and he says, look, this destruction, this, uh, this broken glass, uh, breaking something has caused all of this action to happen. We've got these things coming out. We've got, uh, you know, essentially life, uh, is 
forced to uh, you know band together and accomplish a task because I've broken this this glass. If I hadn't have broken this, then we wouldn't have this convergence of effort mm-hmm. in order to accomplish a particular goal. So this is paraphrasing from the fifth element, obviously, but uh, I thought of it something similar, right? Uh, that she turned on all these appliances to make a point, but that point was. Uh, that we needed to dispose of this threat and disposing of the threat is not necessarily just for disposing of the threat, which is the same as in Fear of the Walking Dead. The idea is not to kill the zombies in order to get the uh, the weapon. It's not to kill these people in order to neutralize a threat. It's to forge an army type of thing, to justify and train and... Uh, to gather the forces together in a cohesive effort in order to maintain that force. Mm -hmm. Uh, And same with all the electricity, you know, uh, if these, if I hadn't turned on all these things, if I haven't uh, initiated all of this, then the people that are responsible for doing all of that would be doing it for nothing. Right. Right. So, so they're, I mean, they're maintaining a position of, of power essentially. Right. And, and, Using this kind of bizarre mass destruction as motivation for for their people in a way. Yeah, and I, I it's Mark Kennington said it best. And Mark Kennington, you don't know who that is. I was in a band with this guy, and he was weird. <laughs> and there's a chance that he's listening to this podcast, but I highly doubt it. Last I heard, he was building a house and making a farm somewhere off grid. Anyway, Mark Kennington said it best one time that, uh, and it's true that power is the ability to do work. Control is the ability to limit it. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely true. Does she have power? She has to have, she has to use the power that she has in order to justify that power and to maintain it. Because if you don't use it, it, it's not power. It's just, it's control. Right. Uh, And if you have... Uh, and control is the ability to stop somebody else from doing something that they want to do. So she is trying to exercise power in order to have control. It's kind of a weird dichotomy of these two things, but uh, I see it as it's not really, they weren't really a threat, but they were a threat so that she could justify that, uh, the power that she wields. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. The other thing I noticed about her apartment is that there were these vaguely propaganda-y posters or artwork on the wall too. We had, we had one that said self-indulgence at this time is helping the enemy, right? So if you, if you're enjoying anything, if you, if you love life, you know, if, if, if you're doing anything for leisure and you're not working towards our goals, you're you're not with us, you're against us, you're with the enemy. So I think that was really interesting too. There was another large poster there about not wasting food, which, you know, I mean, not wasting food's important, but it just, it, it, is. it felt unusual in this case. And then there was a big framed Union Jack on one wall. I'm not sure if that means anything or not, but it really stood out in the scene to me. So if anyone has any theories on that, maybe let us know. And then finally, Jason, you know, if we presume that this is where Rick Grimes is and, uh, Anne, he's, he's amongst this community of 200,000 people. We know that they have some sort of, you know, 
conversion therapy for people that can't handle what they do. Uh, we don't know anything really about how this might have affected Rick, what they may have done to him, what situations he has been in. Um, but if he is here, you know, he is in a society that I think there are some pretty big questionable elements about, and you never know what may have been inflicted upon that guy at this point. Now, I do think that more information about that is revealed in the next episode, because as I said, I've had a hard time avoiding spoilers for it. But as far as I know right now, I, you know, nothing is hundred percent confirmed, but it, it does strike me as interesting that this is where Rick might be. And this is the kind of people we're dealing with. Uh, yeah. And we got to remember that Rick has been here for six years, right? Well, yeah. Six years is a long time. A lot can happen in six years. Yeah. So he's probably dead. Cause why <laughs> wouldn't he go back to his daughter and girlfriend, uh, and son if he wasn't dead? Yeah. I mean, that is a really good question. Uh, but I think there is going to be some explanation presented that, that makes it, or that helps it make sense that is not Rick Grimes is dead. And I, re-education I, doesn't work. I think it doesn't work. Well, yeah, I know that, but imprisonment does. And so, oh yeah. Okay. You know, I, I will see. Anyways. I may have heard of a person or two that has been imprisoned for more than six years. Right. Negan, for example. There you go. <laughs> well, okay. Overall, um, this was an episode of Walking Dead World Beyond, but the most interesting part of it was the last six minutes and all the things we learned about the Civic Republic. Anything else about this one before we uh, move on to the boys, Jason? You're going to make me watch the next one, right? I'm afraid so. All right. Next two, because the next episode we've recorded this podcast, I will have watched two episodes of this show. You will indeed, yes. And uh, I have a feeling they're going to be just as enlightening as this one was, at least for a short bit. <laughs> can, can you, is it possible to watch them on double speed? Because I can listen to books at double speed. Can I watch TV at double speed? I don't know. I'm not sure the medium really, uh, really supports that as well. All right. Well, I'll let you know. Okay, you do. All right, let's move on from The Walking Dead now and get into the Amazon Prime show, The Boys. So the reason we're talking about this show, Jason, is that you started watching it a little while ago, and I think you said to me something like, this show is really dense or really rich with information or, or just a lot of info is coming at me fast and hard, and you really, really did as far as I understand, enjoy the show. And I think you said that we need to talk about this. So I said, great, I've already seen it. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, but give me some insight into there. What did, what was your experience watching it? And, and what did you mean by that? It was uh, full of information. Well, you mentioned this to me and I mentioned it to my wife and then we started watching it one Saturday night. Uh, and after half an episode, something like that, I turned to my wife and I said, I have a problem. She said, what? I said, I never want to stop watching this show. <laughs> and we stayed up till a good one thirty, two o'clock in the morning watching uh, as much of the first season as we could get through in that evening uh, and then watch the rest of it the next night. <laughs> so, and as far as information goes, um, it's one of those shows where uh, they don't give you a lot of setup beforehand. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And I've had I've read books like this, and uh, I kind of like this style of storytelling where you're in a different world, right? the The world is not the same world that we live in. It's uh, uh, it's high fantasy as opposed to low fantasy. High fantasy is um, Game of Thrones mm-hmm. or um, not well Lord of the Rings, but J.R.R. Tolkien would argue with this. Uh, low fantasy is just compared to high fantasy. It's not a, a hierarchy of quality or anything. It's just low fantasy is something that happens in our world. Harry Potter is low fantasy because it's our world, but bent a little bit differently. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien says that Lord of the Rings happened a long, long time ago in Europe. Right, he would say that this is not high fantasy; is low fantasy. This is a historical fantasy and not a different planet altogether. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I like it when you get into a story, whether it's sci-fi or fantasy or whatever, and uh, you're not given a lot of information at the beginning, a lot of exposition. Part of your job as an audience member or a consumer of the uh, the art is to figure out what the hell is going on. Right. And right. so Lost is like that. Right. The whole point of Lost is to figure out, or, you know, they give you dribs and drabs of the mystery of what the hell's going on. And you figure out the structure of the world in that, uh, as you go. Mm-hmm. And in Lost, the structure wasn't revealed for a very long time. They give you little pieces. Uh, this show is like that, uh, in that you don't have a lot of information, right? Right at the beginning, you're given little bits of information about an audition tape of somebody and there's a blinding light. It's like, what, what's going on? And all of a sudden, you know that there are superheroes, mm-hmm. right? And the first real encounter with superheroes you get is a train running through a person. Yep. Uh, and it's just like, holy shit, okay, this world is fucked, <laughs> right? Yes. And then you get information. Uh, we're going to spoil this show, right? Like we're not talking about spoiler-free stuff. Yeah, no, 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 no. We episode right away. We spoil everything. Uh, so you know, yeah, I, I we should say, I guess, if you haven't watched The Boys, bottom line, it's amazing. Watch The Boys. Go do it right now. It is. Turn it off. Turn off this episode of the podcast. Just shut it off. Press stop. Come back to it later. Don't come back to it later. Whatever. Go on to the next episode. I would rather you go and watch The Boys. Then listen to this podcast. Well, that is uh, some high praise, but I, I agree. Like, it's an amazing show, so go watch it. Uh, it's it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, so from here on in, you know, we'll be talking about spoilers and specifics. Yeah. So we know that this world is messed up. And, you know, A-Train, okay. So there's the, even that bit of, you know, uh, Huey standing there with his girlfriend. I think her name was Robin. Uh, standing there with her stepped into the street. Like she just stepped down off the curb. And then all of a sudden there's a big bloody mist and he's holding onto a couple of severed arms. And there's a guy standing there covered in blood. He's like, I can't stop. I got to go. Right. And our, uh, my memory or what I've been trained to understand about superheroes is that they're doing the greater good. Mm-hmm. They're doing the, like superheroes are doing the ultimate good job. We have, uh, you know, uh, DC and Marvel all having these cinematic universes one way or the other, whatever you think about either one of those. The idea is that the, uh, our intrepid heroes in those like quote unquote heroes, uh, in those stories are doing the greater good. And sometimes collateral shit happens and it's really tragic and uh, they feel bad about it, 
but they got to do the greater good. And so our experience with, or what we see from A-Train is he runs through a person and then he says he can't stop. And my brain is like, well, he's got to be doing something so important that the death of a person is regrettable, but he still has to achieve Secondary. that greater good, that, sec- that, that greater good thing. And he goes off to do that. Mm-hmm. But then it circles back a little bit later and it's just the, you know, he's, they find out he's fucking laughing about it in a bar. Uh, he's running drugs uh, for a corrupt corporation that is, uh, you know, exploiting and manufacturing superheroes for profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the superheroes that are that were manufactured for profit are creating other supervillains in order to have somebody to fight against, in order to achieve other goals, like the superheroes being, uh, <laughs> you know, joining the military so that they can have they can you know work with the army on the you know the support of the or uh, in fights with other people, other countries, mm-hmm. so they can get involved in that. So it's just a corrupt, evil fucking organization uh, and there are essentially no good guys right but i want to say even though that is where it all goes in that opening scene you don't know that yet so as you said no, you, you he, don't he runs through this person disintegrating them and our you know the viewer's assumption is that superhero must be doing the right thing so regrettable but okay um and, and it's amazing that, you know, our brains have been trained that way. Even the MCU, you know, tried to address this sort of thing a little bit with Civil War when yeah. they wanted, you know, the Avengers to have some oversight and some of them were okay with that because they realized that they were a potential danger to even trying to do the right things. They were a potential danger to regular citizens and some of the other Avengers couldn't agree with having any oversight. I think Captain America was on the no oversight section because he didn't want to be uh, controlled by anybody. For some reason. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, but in this show, like this happens and our first assumption is, oh my God, what a horrible accident. And then of course it goes from there. I just think it, it was an amazing way to almost like pull the wool over the viewer's eyes, like in the opening scene of the of the show, yeah. right? And then reveal what's going on throughout the rest of the season. Now, I'm not saying it takes the whole season for us to uh to find out that like the 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 company is Vought, Vought Industries is corrupt Vought, yeah. and you know, the superheroes for the most part are actually absolutely frightening, horrible and just awful people. <laughs> and they feel awful about being awful people, but they're still awful people except for Homelander, but that's a whole other ball of fucking crap. Homelander. Okay, so let's go through the 7 quickly. The 7 on the boys are this show's version of the Avengers. So we have Homelander at the top. He yep. is essentially there like Superman, he can fly, he's got super strength, he's nigh indestructible. And he has laser eyes that can just carve through anything. To, to be clear, all superheroes are nigh on indestructible. Diamond hard skin, they can't just be killed. You can't stab them, you can't shoot them. It's just, it's a standard power for all superheroes. It does seem to be true because at the end of one of the episodes, uh, Starlight, who I guess let's list next, she is, uh, she's one of the seven that we spend more time with because she's brand new. She gets shot twice in the chest with a rifle and is knocked down but is okay so you're right i think most of them are 
virtually indestructible. But there's Starlight. She has some sort of electrical power where she gathers electricity from around her and can focus it into a beam kind of thing. Yeah, I guess so. Something like that. We've got <laughs> we've got Queen Maeve, who is kind of the show's Wonder Woman. Uh, you know, basically indestructible, can fly. Uh, doesn't have a lasso of truth that I know of, but she can fly. I don't think she can fly. Can she fly? Um, she got super strength and she's super tough, but I don't know if she can fly. Okay, maybe she, she can't fly. How did she get on that airplane with Homelander? Did she, he fly her? She up was there? with Homelander and he can fly. Okay, all right, fair, fair enough. Uh, we've got A Train, who we've mentioned, who is the Flash. He's just super, super fast. Um, we've got the Deep, who is Aquaman, and he uh, can communicate <laughs> with the fishes and live, breathe underwater. He's an awful person. Like, let's just get this out of the way right now. He's an awful person, but I think he's my favorite character. Awful person, but let's be honest, they all kind of are. Like, yes, he's the first one we really see do something despicable, right? In the well, first, he, he commits rape, essentially, or sexual assault or whatever. Uh, right. But it's it's an awful thing to do, but I don't know. Okay, well, let's come back to him. All right, so there's the deep, there's Black Noir, who I think is my favorite character. He's like this silent head to toe covered in black ninja guy. Doesn't say anything. All he does is kick ass. Um, but his weakness is a nut allergy, (laughs) 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 which I think is funny. And then there's translucent who doesn't survive very long into the season, but he's a guy who goes invisible. Yeah, invisible dude. Invisible dude. He's so, transparent. I don't know why they call him translucent, but he's transparent. It's it's true, but translucent's kind of a more fun name. Yeah. So those are the seven. Those are supposed to be the the you know keepers of justice and the good guy superheroes. Yet all of them, maybe with the exception of Starlight because she's so new, all of them are pretty horrible people. I guess some to more degrees than others, but I mean, Homelander at the top is a psychopath. Like, yes, he's, he's insane and he's the most powerful superhero on the planet, which is absolutely frightening. It makes sense with him though, because what would happen if you took a kid with unlimited power and set him loose on the world and there were no consequences? Right. Right. Uh, So it, I don't think it would turn out very good in very many circumstances. I mean, the fact that Superman is capable of being the ultimate good, you know, purest to driven snow with all, you know, being all powerful except for kryptonite, which keeps cropping up for some reason. The only reason he can do that is that asshole's not human. Right. And he had parents who raised him, you know, on Krypton, Kryptonian parents, but Homelander did not. He was essentially created in a lab and used as an experiment. And that was it for his, his upbringing. And this is what he turned into. Yeah. He has no concept of consequences. He's just, uh, it's just, it's all about him. Everything is about him. If it doesn't directly, uh, you know, benefit him, he doesn't do it. Right. Exactly. But you know, he's, he's broken in, in so many different ways, right? He has no human empathy. Um, he has I guess he may have the gift of like public speaking because <laughs> he can command an audience, but that's more, more just the fact that he is the most powerful superhero in the world and people believe and want to listen to him. Um, but, but he also can, can't have like a normal 
human relationship with anybody, right? His No, his, and that's obvious. His relationship with Elizabeth Shue's character is fucked. Like it is so <laughs> she's his boss basically. It is so weird. It is this and, bizarre like subservient sexual relationship that really freaked me out at times. Yeah, you know, it's the mother he never had. It's the uh it's the discipline he never had. Uh-huh. Uh but it's all voluntary on his part because she's trapped, right? She's absolutely trapped and is knows full well that he's a full-blown psychopath and if she doesn't do exactly what he wants, she's fucked. And right. it actually happens at the end. But uh you know, she it's 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 strange she's kind of She's not a good person either, but she's tragic. Right? She she's is. a tragic character. Yeah. Uh, if I can just say for a second, Elizabeth Shue uh, is one of my favorite actors of all time. I have been in love with her since I discovered her in Adventures in Babysitting back in the 80s. And of course, Back to the Future 2 and 3. Um, I recently was reminded that she was in The Karate Kid, the 80s Karate Kid. Oh, yeah. Because watch we watched that again with the kids. And I love her. I just love Elizabeth Shue. I saw Adventures in Babysitting five times, maybe six times in the theater in the 80s because I thought it was so great. And I was That's like- That's a commitment. I know. I was like, oh, Elizabeth Shue, I could watch you all day. And she's so great in The Boys. I was super disappointed when she was killed at the end. But yeah, her. Uh, you're right. She's She's pretty tragic. And that relationship with Homelander is completely messed up. But- what else can she do? It's Homelander. <laughs> yeah. He looks so, at her the wrong way and she's cut in half, you know? Yeah, exactly. Okay. One, sorry, one quick comment about uh, the deep before we uh, move on. It just, <laughs> he's, he's Aquaman essentially, right? He talks to fishes. He has gills. His gills, unfortunately, are in his chest mm -hmm. uh, or on his sides. Yep. But, <laughs> you know, he finds the trunk with the translucent, translucent dies because uh, he gets a fucking C4 up his ass and they blow it up so they can bypass his diamond hard skin. Uh, Huey does that. We haven't even talked about the boys of the boys yet. No, we and, will. And we'll get there. But before <laughs> we do that, I, I just want to, uh, they find the body of translucent because a good friend of the deeps found it. They said, good friend, that was friggin' porpoise. <laughs> yeah so it's a good friend of him and then he was uh he's like uh he's outcasted to uh omaha or somewhere wherever he ends up being is landlocked and he goes into a grocery store and there's this goddamn lobster it's like uh hey hey get me out of here <laughs> it's like hey you see yeah, okay i'll get you out of there like, you know you want to come home with me for a while yeah get, just get me out of here and they start having a conversation and then the guy kills the lobster before he can take it. Yeah. And his, his heart is broken. It's just, he's a broken man. He can't find any friends. He can't even, he's landlocked. And he finally finds a, uh, a sea creature that he can talk to. And it's just killed out of hand. He's so, his powers are so dismissed. Mm -hmm. Right? He's just, uh, I think it's hilarious. He's an awful, awful person. But I think he's also a tragic character that is, and he's, he's also sexually assaulted by a, a fangirl, right? He meets this girl, he brings her home, and all she wants to do is stick her fingers in his gills. Oh, right. And, and it hurts, Oh, right? And that was, so that was like, a gross scene, man. It was. 
it was funny. It was sad. It was, uh, it felt like it was, he's getting his just desserts in some way. Uh, but yeah, uh, the deep, I think is, uh, is probably my favorite character, even though, you know, they're all awful. Black Noir, he's not awful. He's just, he's silent, right? He's, he's, he's not a bad person. I don't think. Well, he's, he, I mean, he, he doesn't have a single line because he is silent. As you said, he's, he's always kind of just standing there or sitting there in the, the top of the seven tower, I think it's called, um, you know, where they have their superhero meetings and stuff. And then he's deployed at a couple times during, during the season to, to do something. And he's essentially just this ninja guy. Right. But, uh, we don't really see him do anything quote unquote bad. Right. In the same way that we see every other, you know, the rest of these characters kill innocent people or, or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, he's sent to kill a bunch of people. Well, right? And he doesn't care who he kills, no. but I guess in this universe, does that make him a bad guy? Because everybody else does that too. Well, that's right. That's right. Um, but I just like him because he's silent, but he's always there. And his weakness is peanuts, right? So I think, yeah. that, I think that was funny. Uh, so, yeah, we will talk about the boys, but the overall plot of the season is it starts out with... You think it being about the seven, as you said, trying to get into the military so they can participate in military operations. And their argument is that will give them, you know, immediate access to information about crisis, crises around the world, and they can go and help them and stop that. But other people don't want the superheroes to be in the military because they're kind of a different branch (laughs) of, uh, you know, society. Yeah, and it's corporate. It's not just the uh, right. the seven, right? It's the Vought Corporation that is getting access to the military. It's privatizing the military, uh, which you know, is a a dangerous thing. Bad idea, probably. Yeah. Um, although the the season doesn't really end up being about that. Uh, this idea of Compound V is introduced, which is turns out to be a drug that Vought has been using for years to create. Superheroes. Superheroes are not born with their powers. They're born as regular babies and injected with this stuff, which gives them powers. I don't think Vought can control necessarily what powers they get, but the fact that superheroes are made becomes a huge sort of point of the season, right? And some people discover this about themselves um, and others just discover it about the world and want to... uh, get that information out there to bring down Vought and bring the superheroes, you know, back to earth in a way. Yeah. And it's pretty, and how they find out is that, uh, uh, what's his name and mother's milk go into that. uh, They find, they go to a hospital where they're injecting babies with this compound V and they find a baby with laser eyes and use it as a weapon. Right. You're talking about when butcher and butcher, that's his name. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which brings us to the boys. So the boys are like the, the anti-superhero team, and they are the ones that are trying to expose the information about Compound V, take down the, the seven, and, you know, they're led by a guy named Butcher. Now, none of, I shouldn't say none, but most of the boys are not soups, as they call them. They don't have superpowers. They are yep. simply a team that was put together at one point to do this, that's been an inactive for a while and, uh, recently sort of got the band back together. Yeah. I mean, butcher, they're all also tragic 
not great people. But uh, yeah, Butcher is, you know, hell-bent on bringing down the soups because of a personal tragedy. Tragedy. Homelander rapes his wife, mm-hmm. and she's gone. Uh, and he he's hell-bent on bringing down Homelander specifically and all soups in general. In general, right. So he is joined by Frenchie, who is a guy that is really just a... Well, what, is, what does Frenchie do? He's, really, he's a really good... He's a smart sciencey guy can build stuff uh is a weapons guy sort of yeah yeah okay. he's the he's the brains he's he's q he's that's right he's a bit of the brains of the operation we've got mother's milk who is just a, another really um talented <laughs> vigilante type guy strong yeah. and but- he's funny because uh he's also trying to juggle a home life right, right. he's got his wife and daughter that uh, it's like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'll be home soon. You know, he's on a stakeout and, you know, no, I can't talk right now. Yes, I'll bring home chicken or mm-hmm. whatever. He's trying to, you know, juggle that home life as long as, uh, as well as being a, a vigilante that's trying to bring down the soups. Right. But he, he was in the boys before he sort of got out of it for a while, got a regular job and then Butcher drags him back in when they, you know, get things going again. Uh, we have Huey who is the most normal of all the people. He's the guy at the beginning whose girlfriend gets exploded by A-Train. And because he now has something against the Seven, something personal, Butcher recruits him into the team, essentially. Well, yes. I mean, that's not the initial point. The initial point was just to use him to get a bug into uh, the Seven, which is in Toronto. I I don't know if we've mentioned this, but it's filmed in Toronto. uh, And... uh, What's the name of the building that they're in? The the main seven building is it's Roy extension. Thompson Hall. Roy so Thompson Hall. That's it. Where it is. It's the, the Toronto X-Men Symphony was filmed. Toronto Symphony Orchestra well. venue where our orchestra you know exists out of, and it's a it's a rather unique building. It is an unusual looking building, um, but it only composes the bottom section of seven tower because it's not a tall tower it's just funny for us who have been you know seeing this building in real life our entire lives pretty much uh to have this big giant cg tower built up on top of it but you're right the boys is shot in toronto i recognize almost everywhere every uh location they use um fun there are some locations that i've spent a actually significant amount of time in (laughs) like what well um the uh the little open square next to roy thompson hall they shot there a bunch and you know our old office where we used to work at least dave and i i don't know no i worked at uh one of the projects i was on was in one of those buildings in on that square and i was there for a year and a half maybe two years yeah every time they pan up a little bit it was like hey that's where my desk was yeah exactly so like it was it was all right there most of it's shot downtown toronto or the surrounding area so it's it's kind of fun for us recognize the whole thing and I think the boys season three production is getting underway pretty soon back in Toronto. So now I'm kind of like, oh, I want to go and find the location and see if I can get a, yeah. get a, get a glimpse at one of the superheroes or something. Speaking of, you know, stuff that's filmed in Toronto, and there's a lot of stuff that's filmed in Toronto. Uh, it can be distracting, right? You're watching, you're trying to watch and get into uh, a movie like one of the Dark Knight movies was... Uh, filmed there was at least one chase scene filmed underneath the uh the gardner expressway uh was that dark knight i think that was 
uh, Suicide Squad. No, there was Suicide Squad was filmed here too. I recognize there was Young Street stuff mm-hmm. with uh, the Batmobile, but I'm talking about uh, Bruce Wayne was driving a sports car and got into an accident in order to stop something from happening. Oh, okay. Uh, and that was underneath, uh, that was on Front Street, that was underneath uh, the Gardener. And there's, uh, there's other stuff too. Uh, there's lots of movies that are filmed here. And it can be distracting when you recognize stuff because it takes you out of the action. It takes me out of the action, right? It takes me out of, it's like, oh, that, that I used to do whatever there. Or I used to eat noodles over there. Or, hey, there's a really good burger place there. Not everything is about food, but, uh, you know, you get the idea is that it takes me out of the action. So when I'm watching this, a lot of times uh, when something's going on and they're outside, my brain is not paying attention to what's going on. It's looking around in the background going, what do I recognize? Well, Where are they? I can see that, but I, I like it. I get a kick out of recognizing my hometown, so I, I don't mind it. Handmaid's Tale is the same. Like It shoots in the city and other places in Southern Ontario, but you know, I've, I recognize stuff on that show as well. Right. Uh, anyways, um, we're sort of all over the place here, but uh, the boys also consist of one more character that they bring in partway through the season. And this is actually a superhero character who um, they need to kind of uh, ease onto the team because she has undergone some things, is a little bit emotionally damaged and isn't quite ready to be, you know, a force or a force. For, I was going to say a force for good, but is anybody a force for good on this show? I'm not so sure. But any in any case, she's not quite ready to be part of a team that's got a goal. Yeah, and Frenchie takes a liking to her, right? Uh, initially, she's just called the female, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, trying to see what her Kimiko uh, is her actual name that uh, they find out later. But you know, Frenchie takes a liking to her and doesn't want to, you know, necessarily just get rid of her like uh, Butcher does. Uh, but she gets eased onto the team and becomes, uh, becomes part of the team. We find out that she's actually, uh, unable to speak. Uh, that's right. Here, that's fine, but, uh, she is unable to speak. Yeah. So she goes by the female or the female of the species sometimes. (laughs) Well, the episode that she was introduced in was called the female of the species. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we learn later, uh, through (laughs) Haley Joel Osmond who uh, shows up as a, uh, a psychic or a mind reader of some kind is able to find out that her name is Kimiko. Right. Right. Um, exactly. So, so that's the boys. They are, you know, they're fighting against, or their goal is to bring down, bring down the seven. And, and how do you fight as a normal human being? How do you bring down Superman? Right. Uh, you know, when evil Superman, he can fly, he's got laser vision, uh, he's got super hearing, uh, he can see through walls. Uh, you know, at one point when, uh, they're trying to deal with, uh, translucent and translucent is in the cage and they've got C4 up his ass and their fingers on the trigger. And it's like, well, you know, uh, Homelander's flying around looking for him. And he's in the neighborhood. We can't blow this up because he's going to be able to hear it and he's going to be able to see it. And it's just going to, he's going to come and kill us all. So we mm-hmm. can't kill him. So how do you fight superheroes when you're not superheroes? Well, I mean, that's one of the questions, but they use things like misdirection and, and, uh, subterfuge maybe. <laughs> yeah. Right. They, they do things to purposefully put the actual superheroes kind of off their trail. 
um, and and try to get what their what their goals are complete while Homelander's looking the other way in in basically right. And I think that was one of the things about this show that was done pretty well. It was it was pretty clever because you're right. How do these people? How are they supposed to fight these actual invincible superhuman people? Um, and make it interesting. But I never felt like uh, I never felt like it was sort of dumb that the boys could were able to do what they were able to do. You know what I mean? No. Yeah, and it, it's it's important because if they all have diamond hard skin, they had a superhero translucent caught and in a cage, and they've been trying to kill him for like a couple of days, and they can't figure out how uh-huh. until eventually they're like, okay, well, if his skin's hard, let's see if the inside of his rectum is just as hard as his skin, <laughs> oh, right? And it's just, it's disgusting, but, you know, the idea occurred to me. I'm like, well, is, you know, I remember Drax from uh, uh, the second uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movies. It's just like, well, he's got impenetrable skin, so I'm going to jump down his throat and kill him from the from the inside. Right. Like, well, the skin's just as hard from the inside. Yeah, but his liver isn't, right? You put a bomb up his bum, you know, <laughs> is his liver just as hard? If it makes a big mess, but yet leaves his skin just fine. Yeah. Uh, he's still going to be quite dead. That being said, though, he did explode. And like, if his skin was that hard, you'd think he'd just like internally explode and the, you know. Yes and no. I mean, if you take a firecracker and you uh, you let it explode just sitting on uh, or, you know on the pavement, mm-hmm. that's one thing. You put a firecracker in a hole in the pavement and let it explode, it's going to crack the pavement. Okay. Right? Because the internal pressure in there, it's got nowhere to go, right? So it puts a lot, a lot more of that pressure can be directed uh, to the whatever you're trying to blow up. I guess it's so. It's like a shaped charge. So it's 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 the same kind of thing. Like you take a cherry bomb and you throw it into the woods and it blows up, you're not going to hurt anything. You take a cherry bomb and you flush it down the toilet, it's going to break your fucking toilet. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> well, I don't recommend it either, but I've seen it on YouTube. Oh, of course you have. <laughs> yeah. So All right. Well, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know where else to go with this show. It was it was amazing. Um, it's it, it's fascinating. It never feels uh, like it feels zippy. You know, it moves along. There's a lot of episodes. There's what other ten episodes, and they're all an hour long, but they're they're just riveting the whole time. And seeing just living in this universe where where you have superheroes which are supposed to be the pinnacle of good. Um, but they behave in absolutely the opposite way is just so great and mind bending for me. You know, I, I loved it. Yeah. And you know, you take something good and pure, like a superhero and you bend it to, uh, you know, a corporation's desire to make money. Mm -hmm. This is, this is what happened. You take, you know, you flawed human beings, give them superpowers that make them even more flawed and turn them potentially turn them into psychopaths uh, and then you use them for, uh, you know, try to monetize them, right? They have, uh, they have press people. Uh, speaking of which, we didn't even talk about the Walking Dead connection. Um, we have, uh, we have handlers, we have press, we have press, they talked about movie deals. Uh, you know, as, essentially we have to assume that it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it's using real superheroes to make the movies. Uh, which must be fun, but also, you know, very bankable. 
Uh, and then you do press tours and, uh, you know, it's just, and you have costuming and it's just the, you know, the, the worst part of branding and corporate culture, uh, applied to, uh, you know, the pure, uh, superhero genre and, and, is that the cause of these superheroes becoming complete fucking assholes or is it, uh, <laughs> these superheroes are complete fucking assholes and, uh, you know, evil corporate culture, uh, you know, make, trying to make a profit, anything for a profit. Like we even know that the corporation made compound V in order to make superheroes in order to make money off of these superheroes that were manufactured. Right. It's just, it's, you know, from the get go, it's just, it's evil. Totally. The Walking Dead connection that you're mentioning is that we've got Colby Minifee here who plays yes. Virginia on Fear playing the like uh, PR person for the superheroes trying to that, keep their images in line. Yeah. And she's, uh, she's just as unlikable in this show as she is in uh, Fear the Walking Dead. I, I think so, but better on this show, in my opinion. <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not even. I'm not even sure she kind of falls under the category of uh, loving to hate. I, I might just not like her as an actress, but I have to see her in more things, right? Right. Like there was. There's been actors where uh, I've watched them, and I think that <laughs> it's actually come to the point where I'm like, that's the dumbest British accent I've ever heard an actor uh, try and get onto the screen to only find out that's actually their accent. <laughs> it's their real right? accent. <laughs> it's their real <laughs> accent. So don't I feel like an idiot? Uh, it Be happens. You know, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> right. But I've also had actors that I've absolutely despised and didn't want to watch a show because I didn't like them to, uh, you know, actually liking them as an actor. Yeah. Tom Cruise, for example. There was a period in the late 80s, early 90s where Tom Cruise, all he played was a complete asshole. Like that's all he did was play a, a dumb asshole. And I take Top Gun in that same category. I'm talking about Top Gun. I'm talking about Rain Man. I'm talking about, uh, there's other movies where he just played this asshole. And I'm like, well, he must be an asshole. But then there's other movies where he actually is kind of likable. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he's a crazy person in person, but as an actor, he's kind of likable. Yeah. I like, I, I'm on board with Tom Cruise. Uh, I enjoy Mission Impossible movies and all that fun stuff he does. Uh, you know what else I like about the boys though, Jason, is we have all these superheroes that are in these, you know, defined roles, but there are a whole bunch of them out just out there in the world too, right? Those, the seven aren't the only ones. We've got yeah. others that are just living their lives. Like we've got the guy who can uh, touch people and read their minds, you know, doing like comic cons and, you know, making money and stuff like that. We've got, uh... Popclaw, who was A-Train's girlfriend for a while, right? She's she was got, a Wolverine type. Yeah, sort of a Wolverine type. She's got really cool bone claws that she can pop out of her wrists. Um, you know, she was kind of fun, though, too, because she ended up killing her landlord. Yes. Uh, and then having to deal with that situation. So that was that was kind of fun. Yeah, the, the way she killed him was rather entertaining. But uh, I, I just like the idea that there are these other soups out there, right? And, and Butcher is against all of them. He's just focused on Homelander because of what he did to his wife. Uh, but it's a whole universe of superheroes. And we have others come in, right? We have Stormfront come in later in the season. Um, she's interesting. And you never know what we're going to get uh, in future seasons. So I think it's just a really, really fun universe to play in. And 
a pretty unique take on just the whole idea of what superheroes are and what they're supposed to be, you know? Yeah. It's like if the Justice League went corporate. Yeah, exactly. And and the corporate aspect to it uh, as well is is fascinating, right? I don't know that I've ever... Um, and I don't know. I don't know that I've ever seen another story where the superheroes are controlled by a corporation and they're not sort of independent, right? No. I, I, it, I There is another story, and I forget the comic book series. Actually, Dave t- uh, turned me onto it a number of years ago. Our friend, friend of the show, Dave, uh, he turned me onto it a number of years ago. I forget what it's called, but uh, it was a Superman character, all powerful, uh, all good, uh, just turned evil one day. He's just like Bucket <laughs> and turns evil and about uh, the world having to deal with not only, uh, you know, something like Homelander, who is evil, who appears good, but was good and now is evil and doesn't care if anybody knows about it. Okay. Well. Uh, I wish I could find it. Um, I forget what it's called, but it was a, a very, very good read. Right. Well, I dig it up and maybe we can uh, mention it next time, but... Um, it's an amazing show. We've really only talked about season one. There's an entire second season out there too. Uh, but you know what, if you haven't watched it yet, let's not get into that. And I recommend go watching it too. And season three is coming not in the immediate time because they haven't started filming it yet, or they're just beginning, I think, but, uh, we will get season three of the boys eventually, but man, oh man, if you haven't watched season one, well, I'm sorry we've spoiled a lot here, but uh, either way, it's worth it. Go check it out. Be ready for um, extreme language and extreme violence. Yeah, it is pretty graphic. It's extremely graphic in in its violence and what, what happens to some some people in this. So just be ready for that. But man, oh man, I can't say enough good things about this show. It is one of my favorites uh, of the last little while, that's for sure. Irredeemable is the name of the comic book uh, series. I haven't read them all. I might go back and try and finish them. But the series follows the fall of the world's greatest superhero, the Plutonium, as he as he begins slaughtering the population of Earth. Okay. So, <laughs> sounds uplifting. <laughs> yeah. And about all the other super superheroes going, uh, shit, we got to stop this guy now. Yeah, we might want to <laughs> do something about this. Okay, Jason, anything else on the boys before we call it a night here? Uh, no. If you're still here and you haven't watched The Boys, I'm sorry. You should have pressed stop and went and watched The Boys. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about it again someday, because if it keeps going, like, we can do season two or three whenever it comes out, but, uh, we'll check in with The Boys again. Hopefully it continues to be awesome. All right, before we end here, uh, I just want to remind everyone that if uh, if you like what we're doing here, there are a couple of great ways to help support the podcast. Uh, I'll be really quick and just say that you can become a patron at patreon.com slash the talking dead allows you to make a uh, small monthly pledge to to the show, which helps a great deal. Or you can do a one time donation by going to talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal and uh, sending a, a few bucks your way. We super appreciate everyone who listens and everyone who chooses to uh, help out in their own way. Uh, one other way you can do that is just by leaving a review and ideally a five-star rating on uh, the podcast platform of your choice, like Apple Podcasts or uh, wherever you get this show. That helps a great deal as well. 
Okay, coming up next, as we set off the top, it will be back to Walking Dead. We're going to be looking at um, the, by then, two most recent episodes of Fear the Walking Dead and Walking Dead World Beyond. Again, with a lens to sort of the bigger universe. Um, we'll, we'll see what comes of those shows. And that will be a week from tonight, next Tuesday, just so we're not, you know, getting behind again. And then moving forward from there, we'll probably continue to do that until uh, World Beyond wraps up. And I guess Fear goes on its mid-season uh, mid hiatus, but we'll have to see right. what that means. Uh, so if you do have thoughts on The Walking Dead shows, which I know some of you do because I received a bunch of emails on the episodes that I haven't seen yet, uh, please keep sending those in and we'll try to incorporate some of them into the upcoming podcasts as we always love to do. I haven't read many of them yet just because, you know, I haven't seen the episodes and I had a hard enough time staying away from spoilers on, you know, Twitter. Um, I figured yeah. looking at the email was a really bad way to also spoil myself. Uh, but I'm going to watch those very, very soon. So I'll get caught up to date. All right, so if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that by visiting our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. You can also just go to our website, talkingdeadpodcast.com, click on send voicemail at the top, and that will allow you to record a message that comes to us. We love getting audio messages from people. They're my favorite thing to incorporate into the show. You can also just record that on your phone and email it to us. That is a really great way to do it and usually yields the best quality, so... Use that voice memo app, record your thoughts, and then email them to us. The email address is talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. It'll all come to me, and I sort through it all and uh, get as much of it as I can on the show. All right, so it'll only be a week between now and our next episode. We won't have to wait two weeks this time. We'll get caught up on the Walking Dead stuff. Maybe there'll be some Walking Dead news we can go over as well. I'm looking forward to all of it. And I know Jason is too. Oh yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing all of it from you. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.